Hello and welcome back to episode 42 of Double Reel. This is the fourth part of our monthly magazine podcast for the discerning film nerd. Hopefully you've caught up with the first two parts which came out in the past couple of weeks. If not, please do go back to your app, download them and have a listen. Part one is Double Reel Monthly with news, reviews of new releases including The Lesson, The Creator, How to Blow Up a Pipeline and Nimona, my monthly David Cronenberg film which was The Fly and James's look at a Nick Cage film picked at random. Part two is our regular features, including our classics and recommended feature The Guard, our hidden gem Down and Out in Beverly Hills, our one that got away, which was Bruce Willis in Broadway Brawler, and a remake hate watch of Doolittle. Now in our final part for this month, we give you the big conversation where we talk about a topic from the film world in more detail. First of all, a warm welcome to my co-host, James Adamson. Welcome, James. Thank you very much for the lovely introduction. It's good to be back. Very good. So the subject of this month's big conversation, uh, or the title kind of gives a, a hint at it, it's Dying is Easy, Comedy's Hard, which is a slight misquotation of like a famous saying. It's been attributed to a few people, including veteran actor Edmund Gwen, most famous for playing Chris Kringle in the original Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, the story goes that he or somebody else was kind of on their deathbed and saying they're dying and, and uh, like a member of their family, a child was sort of trying to process it and said, oh, that must be very hard. And quick as a quick as a flash, you said, oh, dying's not hard. Comedy's hard, um, which is just a sort of, it's said now as a bit of an actorly saying and joke because they, you know, it's said that comedy is like the hardest thing to do well. Um, so what we wanted to do is have a discussion about, you know, whether comedy as a genre is harder to do, what our favorite comedy uh, films are. Um, the fact that while comedy is hard to do and maybe there's not as many, you know, there are more bad ones and good ones, just the, the way it works, that it's still a very popular genre among, you know, audiences. Um, and, and just to kind of walk through it and see, you know, why comedy is hard. Is it harder than ever to make a comedy and just see where it goes? But not not too structured today. We're just having a chat, really. But James, um, do you do you agree with the statement that, you know, comedy's you know, the hardest thing to do well out of all the kind of film genres? So I I would agree, yeah. I think when I, when we were kind of preparing for this discussion, I thought, why don't I look at the other genres and um, see if how they kind of match up, even the bad films and the good films. So, for example, people still go and see the Saw films and the Paranormal Activity seventeen films because they've kind of they kind of know they're going to get a jump scare. The story's probably not going to be that good, and it's going to be quite cheap, but they know that they're going to get that scare. So I think it's you can't you can't do that with comedy, like obviously Adam Sandler still has like that kind of cult following, but you you can't just rely on the same tropes again and again and again because it gets boring. It's not like you can't just do the same jokes again and again and again. But you can still do the not the same jump scares, but you can you can have someone jumping out of a cupboard and it'll be scary, and then you can have someone dropping down from the roof and that'll be scary and it'll make you jump. So. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think if you have a comedy sequel that is literally telling exactly the same jokes as the last film, you know, I mean, that you maybe get away with that once or twice, but you can see it bit not being not as good as before, like the Naked Gun films. By the third one, they are doing the same jokes. There's no way they'd get to 10, right? Yeah. And, and there's also, there's an element of, Look, to be fair to horror films, you know, and I'm a fan of some horror films, there's a massive difference between the great horror films like The Exorcist and Get Out and the latest fucking, like, entry of the Nun series. But you can still get you can still get something out of the kind of very, very basic average and mediocre film in that genre. Comedy's harder because, you know, Elephant in the Room, what we're talking about here is the laugh. 
you've you've got to laugh right and not doing it quite as well or doing something that's stale and been done before is not going to get as big a laugh or a laugh at all and and that's what makes it harder right yeah um and you know what i would say is that i've seen some really bad horror films like i think I, i've seen one of the nun films and mm. it's a shit story and it's rubbish but there's still some scary moments in it so it does the job even if it's not an Oscar-winning, you know, screenplay. So yeah, I mean, the jump, the jump scare is an incredibly crude. Uh, well, an incredibly crude. The jump scare can be a very crude way to kind of get a scare out of the audience. It can still be done beautifully well. We talked about The Exorcist Three when we had our special special episode of Primetime Mitch. But sometimes people just lace it with jump scares. So it's like um, Mark Kermode, who I like to reference, talks about the exactly the kind of horror film you're talking about, mate. As the jump scares are like quiet, 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 bang. And it's just, it's, you know, it's an obvious technique. And for the nun films, you said, they just change that to quiet, 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 none. And, you know, like you say, it, 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 it can work, right? And it's mechanical, but if it works, it works, yeah? Yeah. Um, and I suppose, is it, is it, are we doing a, not a disservice, but are we being quite you know generous to comedy by saying it's the hardest one to do by saying that it's but you know it's quite it's quite difficult to do a good action film because you know steven seagal exists and all of his action films are pretty fucking well at least in the last 20 years have been pretty fucking terrible well i mean what i would say about this is that i think um there's a much smaller target to hit when you're trying to get a laugh right because i think either you get the laugh or you don't yeah and I think with action films or, you know, uh, you know, romantic dramas or, or something where you, when you're trying to make people like, you know, excited, you know, suspenseful or sad or, or, or all those other emotions, there's a much bigger, a much bigger target to hit. Because if you don't get it absolutely spot on, you will still have some sort of effect. You know, I watch a lot of action films and the mediocre ones still, it's like, yeah, he's still, you know, that there's still an exciting car chase. It's just not as good as the one in the French Connection. Do you know what I mean? And I think there's more of a sliding scale of how well it works. But with a comedy scene, if you don't get the laugh because you haven't actually done it particularly well and the people in it aren't actually that talented, um, it's not like you can go, oh, well, I'll, sometimes you might go, oh, I laughed a bit. But I think more often you just go, well, because they're not because it wasn't good enough, you just didn't laugh at all. And I think that's a difference. I think that there's an, there's another aspect to this, and we'll you know we'll, we'll we'll walk into these different topics. I think as we go through it, but comedy is also much more subjective. I mean, how many times have you had a conversation with someone where you say, "Oh, I hate such and such and such comedian. Um, they're just not funny." And what they mean is they're not funny to them, and they're actually someone who's really funny to you. And there's probably half a dozen people they love which you don't find funny. And it, it's I think the most personal because I think all right, some people don't like car chases and some people don't like action films, but I think a lot of the same things work for everybody in other genres where I think in comedy, a lot of the same things work for one person and not for the other. So how the hell do you find your audience to make them laugh? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I would agree. It's, it's an interesting one. Um... I mean, I've got an example, which is a quote from Chris Rock, who he's directed a couple of comedy films and he said something about it. And when Chris Rock says something about comedy, it's a good idea to listen he said that if he if he's trying to come up with a new joke for his stand-up act, he can write it in the morning and, and literally go out that night to a comedy club and perform it. He can find himself an open mic night and do some new material and see if it's funny. 
and if you know the bits that don't work he can go in the you know into his office the next day and kind of work on it and 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 get instant feedback on whether the joke is funny but if he writes a joke for a film he does the best with he can with it and finds out in about 2 years whether it whether it worked or not because the, just the mechanics of making a comedy film is you write something you hope it's funny and then you've got to put the right people together you've got to get some chemistry between them you write the joke and you can do a lot in the edit and you can do a lot with improvisation the way the likes of Judd Apatow and and you know the Will Ferrell movies and stuff do but also there's an element of you are only going to find out that this is funny quite a long time from now when you pl- when you perform what you've already done recorded edited and and put in it put in the can to an audience and it's too late to change it do you know what I mean whereas you know and whereas Chris Rock if something's not working on on the night he'll just do another joke he'll just cut it short and do something else whereas with a comedy film if it's not working you've got no choice but to carry on because you just you've pressed play on the tape do you know what I mean yeah you've kind of got to just accept the criticism that gets yeah I suppose leveled at it yeah Um, so it's it's really it's subjective it's harder to do there's a there's a really massive difference between um uh you know success and failure either you laugh or you don't it's a lot easier to do all this with live performance which is why probably a lot of people's favorite uh what yeah what what to do that now comedy films versus tv comedy now I, I know we don't have like as many comedy series with laugh tracks these days but a lot of the kind of classic comedy shows on tv were performed in front of a live audience and that works a lot better, doesn't it? I mean, Faulty Towers has people laughing, and you know it, that. I know some of that is, oh yeah, does that mean the audience needs to be told when to laugh? But also, some of it's that the, the the performers can actually play to the audience, and that's why that's why it's funny. That's why it works. I mean, how, how are you like with comedy films versus comedy on TV for a start? Um, do you mean like a comedy, like a sitcom, or do you mean like stand up? Well, let, let's let's do let let's do TV. I think we'll we'll do we'll do stand up in a second. We'll do yeah. we'll do stand up in a fine. second. So, I think it depends. Um, I think they're they're kind of different dynamics. There's there's sort of like a more kind of fleshed out story, obviously in a TV show, but sometimes it's one story per episode. Mm-hmm. Like Rick and Morty has some kind of interconnected stuff, but. Usually it's Rick and Morty go and do this, and this is everything mm-hmm. that's funny about it. But um, I don't, I don't think I watch many comedy sitcoms. I'm not a big fan. Of. So, you, so you're more, you're probably. I know, I know you watch stand-up uh, specials more. What about comedy films? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've watched it. I've watched my fair share of comedy films. Um, yeah, I mean, so, I think, so what? Sorry, about, I think the the. Comedy films are good in a sense because they try and have a kind of longer story to them. Yeah. And it, not, not a longer story, so longer than a, like a one story per episode thing. I think that's yeah. the difficult thing with comedy is that if you do a comedy show, you can't really have an entire, you know, 22 episode season based on one kind of arc. It's like loads of different funny things like yeah. the, the, the group go and do this thing. Yeah. Because in a film, they kind of, they have like an hour and 50 and they try and make a story out of it and i think i think when you're doing that you try and the the writing tends to be a bit better on it because if you're doing a a 30 minute episode not even that like 22 minutes when you include all the adverts you don't have to like focus so much on the writing of it so 
that you've got to make you got you got to make sure that it's really polished if you're trying to make a two-hour film is what I'm trying to say. So that's probably yeah. why I prefer the films. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure people who write for TV would would talk about how polished it is, but I think there is a big difference between sustaining a joke for 22 minutes and sustaining a joke for an hour and a half, right? Yeah, well, Chuck Lorre can fuck off if he disagrees with that because his fucking writing is shit. <laughs> well. Yeah, I mean, we can we can we can do our own special on on TV sitcoms one day. But I th- I, th- I think I think where where I agree with you, where I think you're coming from is, oh, and I think s- stand up shows are like this as well. Is that if it's working right and if it's funny, the the laughs last a lot longer because if a film is working for you and making you laugh, and you're ten minutes in and this is making you know and you're you're having a great time. If that film is successful, you're going to get that, the good feeling you get from laughing, right? All the way to the end of the movie, hour and a half. Now, if it, if it falls off and it fails, well, tough. But when, when you make a great comedy film, what's great about it is you start laughing at like eight o'clock and you're still laughing at quarter to ten. And that just feels good. That physiologically feels really good, right? And, you know, you've been, you know, you've been to stand-up shows, you've watched stand-up, you know, stand-up specials on, on the TV and you get the same thing, an hour and a half of... You know, I know you like Kevin Hart. We both love, um, you know, Kevin Bridges. That you know, whoever, whoever it is that you like, you, it may, it, it's it's just the good feeling you get from laughing for that length of time, right? Yeah, I think you've put it quite nicely. I think it's, it's just a more kind of. I think it's just got, it like I say, it's got a deeper kind of root in it. You know, it's like from the outset they said, how do we keep this laugh mm-hmm. going? for 90 to you know 120 minutes it's mm-hmm. and because of that it is two hours of just you know well when it's good when it's bad it's not two hours of enjoying yourself it's two hours of just absolutely cringing. yeah it's, it's cringing yeah but that, that's that's the whole thing that just it just feels like the people are especially when you know in, in the classic era of films coming out and being very well publicized if a, if a film comedy does badly right it's just, it's just, it's horrible, isn't it? Because the people who've, oh, we've paid to see this, we might as well watch to the end, and you come out of it fucking pissed off, right? Do you know what I mean? I think there are sometimes you can watch a, 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 a film in other genres, and how, however bad it is, at the end of it, you just go, oh, well, that wasn't very good, and you kind of shrug your shoulders. Sometimes it makes you angry. You know, anyone who's heard my review of the creator um, from this, the most recent WR Monthly will, will know that a, a bad film can make you angry. But I think it, it feels worse when you've wasted your time on a, on a, a comedy film that's, uh, no good, right? Because you've been cringing and biting your knuckles, you know, for the last hour of it. It does. It does feel like if you're going to get annoyed at a film being bad, it's more likely going to be a comedy because it's almost like you've been let down by the fact that you were going in to try and you know have a laugh and just have you know kind of comedy films. You sit down to chill. You know, you don't you don't go into watch you know an Adam Sandler film and you're gonna analyze it and if it's gonna get your vote at the Oscars, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're just sitting there to kind of relax and if it if it doesn't like make you laugh or anything, I think that's maybe why people get a bit more annoyed at it because they were expecting so much more. Yeah, and and, you know, and the fact is the critics have to sit through it and the critics are gonna be that pissed off as well and you and the film goes out, gets shown at the cinema and it's not just that it flopped, it's. You're a commit. You know, you've done a comedy film. The whole purpose of everyone in the film is to be funny, and you weren't funny. It's like you know that feeling you get when you, or maybe you don't. You don't get this as often as I do. But you know that feeling you tell a joke and it just le- and absolutely fucking dies, and everyone just stares at you. Uh, imagine that for ninety minutes, and then imagine that for three months with the media talking about what a shit job you've done. That that's probably why a lot of people are incredibly nervous about making a comedy, 
if you go back to um, our one that got away from the features episode that came out last week, the I, I still think part of the reason Bruce Willis was acting up on set that much was because he he was looking ahead to if this doesn't work, I'm going to look like such a twat. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you, do you think that drives the way people make films? I mean, film film is a mass medium. I know TV sitcoms are watched by a lot of people, but film is a mass medium. It's going out nationwide. It's you know the number one film in the the country or the number one film in the world has been seen by a lot of people. And you know you talk about how subjective comedy is. What do you think that does to the comedies that people make and say, all right, well, we, if we want this to be watched by everybody, what kind of comedy do, do you do? What do you think that does to the 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 the, the approach to comedy films that people have. Um, I think I think you would agree. It makes it quite a cautious approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think not to mention his name again, but I think that's what we saw from Adam Sandler from pretty much the late two thousands till he did Uncut Gems. Um, he just played it safe. He did the same kind of tropes that he'd always done, and. In, in between that, he tried a couple of things that didn't work as well. Do you know what I mean? Which probably makes him retreat into his shell even more, doesn't it? Yeah, but like Jack and Jill was very much an Adam Sandler just relying on his old tropes and relying on, you know, Eddie Murphy and Mike Myers tropes that they'd already done, you know, back in the 90s. It was very, they were trying to play it very safe. And I think, you know, when you do that from the outset, it's it's never going to work. So I don't know why they did it. It's interesting that, I just had a kind of thought there that we've said that comedy is hard, but I genuinely don't think it is. I think pe- people are funny. I think, you know, when we have conversations, most, like, the main point of the conversation, well, for me anyway, is to try and have a laugh with that person. Unless mm-hmm. it's obviously, like, a serious conversation at my work or, you know, whatever, if it's, like, a, or, mm-hmm. a phone on, on the phone at the doctor or whatever like that, you know, then it has to kind of be serious. But I think, as a species, we try to be quite lighthearted and try and be funny. So I don't know why they struggle so hard because naturally, like, we want to laugh. Like, if someone's bought a ticket to go and see a comedy film, you know, they've gone in thinking, oh, I want to enjoy this. They're, 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 not... so they're already in that mindset. Of yeah, thinking, yeah. I know, psych, I did I did stand up back in the day and you do have all, you do walk in and have audiences that have got their arms folded and they seem more interested in throwing things and telling you to fuck off. But by the same token, I did the comedy store a couple of times, and people have paid a fair bit of money to get in there, and they are they're they're kind of they're there to have a good night, so they kind of want you to be funny. They want you to actually, so if you if you hit it and make it work, the that first laugh you get is fucking enormous because like oh great, I'm getting my money's worth, and the the the, the reaction is great, and so I get what you're saying. People want the film to be funny. They've paid to go and see a funny film, and they they're, they're waiting for it to be funny. Yeah, I mean, Billy Connolly said something about comedy, which is to say he he didn't say he didn't think he was necessarily the funniest person um, that he knew down the pub, but he was the one who could do it on stage in front of people. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's just, and I think we can probably unpack a couple of like recent comedies that kind of that kind of do that because it's about people are funny, so you just need the camera to be pointing when it happens. It's like I was. I've been listening to a podcast about. Um, well, it's actually about those the, the standalone Star Wars films that, that that didn't work very well. And you know, uh, Lord and Miller did um, uh, 
solo and got fired from it, yeah? Yes. And it's got a description of how they normally direct and how they had to do something slightly different for solo because it wasn't a comedy. Because for a comedy, what they said is the cinematography's got to be completely straight and completely flat. You can't have any distractions. It's like, no, 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 don't don't give me the lovely shot of the mountains. I need you to be looking at the people and I want I want the audience to be watching when it's funny. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of the sin which is why sometimes a lot of comedy films don't have you know, uh, any any anything that you know the, the 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 camera work or the placing or the way they're standing can sometimes be a bit kind of basic because you don't you want people to be looking at the thing that's funny <clears throat> because comedy is so much about timing. You don't want people to be looking at the wrong part of the screen when they're meant to be watching the next funny thing that comes out of the actor's mouth. You know, or the pratfall or the the fucking truck coming into the room and smashing things up at, at exactly the right time. You know. So it's all about being able to be there when it happens, which if you, um, you know, those those outtake reels at the ends of films can sometimes be a bit, all right, they're funny for a bit, but I'm going to switch off now. But sometimes they're quite revealing about how they um, how they work. You know, if you see like Will Ferrell's like Anchorman and some of those things, a lot of the outtakes are not so much outtakes as in, oh, Will, Will got it wrong that time. You can see that the filming style was Will Ferrell is sitting next to Christina Applegate, it is her in that. It's Christine Taylor's in the other one. It's Christina Applegate and Anchorman. Yeah, Christina Applegate. Yeah, yeah. Um, all these white chicks look the same to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he's, it's the film's got the take they settled on. Yeah, that they thought was the best. But they've got all the other ones, and some of some of the time you can't use the take because the other person cracks up. But sometimes you just get the these are the other six things that Will tried. Do you know what I mean? And then in the edit, yeah. they went, well, that's the funniest one. And that's why in your Will Ferrell films, you'll say, all right, maybe maybe Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller only turn up for a couple of minutes, but I want as many funny people to be in, in, in the film as possible. And then for the main scenes, it's like Will Ferrell, Paul Rudd, uh, uh, what the fuck's his name from uh, Evan Almighty and The Office? Steve Carell. Steve Carell and and the guy with the, the cowboy hat. It's like... And Christine Rapplegate. It's like you've got all the funny people in a room so that, and the camera's just rolling. And that's why I think digital probably helps because just, just roll the fucking camera and when anything funny happens, print, you've got the take. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's why a lot of people make films that way because that group, like you say, it's like um, if you and I or anyone else is like in a having a chat with your mates, you don't remember the three things you said that weren't funny. You remember the four things you said that were funny. Do you know what I mean? And in yeah. your memory, you edit, you edit down to the bits of that. Oh, what that wasn't that great night. Do you remember what they said? And I think you're a lot of comedy these days, especially, is doing that. I mean, maybe in older comedies, it was also it was all very scripted, and and you know, we'll you could talk about why they do that. They're probably people come from more of a theatrical tradition, and they've probably sometimes like the Marx Brothers when they did their comedies. By the time they're doing Duck Soup, yeah, or um, a Day at the Races, or or any of those films. They like they toured that show for a year and then they just film it, so they already know what's funny. Like Harpo and Chico and and Grouch are all like, "Here, look, I know what beat to do. Don't worry, do your do your line. I've done this a hundred times in a theatre. Do your line, and I'll know what to say at the right time next." But we don't have that theatrical tradition as much these days. Um, so what they do is they have people in a room or in a studio in, on a set, 
Will Ferrell, one of the Wilsons, Ben Stuck, like three to five of the people that always work together turn up and then just talk shit to each other until until something's funny, basically. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if like nine out of ten jokes are shit because the one joke is enough for the take, and fifteen of those, and you got yourself a comedy film, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's like I said for me. It's like it's kind of baffling how how many shit comedy films that we've had we could talk about Adam Sandler but we could talk about you know plenty of other comedy films that have just died I don't don't mean ones like Scary Movie and you know the what's that arsehole Marlon Wayans the ones he does well you know what he just takes he just takes a, a film that came out that year and then just makes it about black people and it's like that like one of his films was called what was it? It was something like, I'll find it. And basically, not, not, he just white, does not like, white, not white chicks. No, God, that's awful as well. But um, basically, but, just. But while you're looking that up, the funny thing about like scary movie and white chicks and stuff like that is that I'm uh, not really that bothered about them. Or I do love um, fucking hell. I'm forgetting everybody's name. The guy from Everybody Hates Chris with the big muscles who was in Brooklyn Nine Nine. Terry Crews. Terry Crews. Terry Crews is hilarious in White Chicks because he's just Terry Crews. But the thing about those films, I think they're mostly shit. But you put a scary movie film on, and, and my missus, right, who's in a senior, quite eminent kind of job, she's the sort of person like that you would, you know, you actually want fucking running your business, right? You put a scary movie on, and I have to mop her up off the fucking floor after she's watched it. It's not just that she laughs. It's I think she might actually pull something, and I mean, you can take take it away and eat. So if something something that you think is shit is probably really really hitting someone else's funny bone, and, you know, as we speak, you know. Yeah. So, Marlon Wayans did a film parody of Fifty Shades of Grey called Fifty Shades of Black. <laughs> but that's it. But that that that's well, what he's. Well, it's he like those it's like those spoof it. films, and it's um. Well, it's interesting those spoof films. I think there was a time when, like, some of my favourite films, and I know, you know, this is old man shouts at new things he doesn't like, but I think things like Airplane and Top Secret and Naked Gun and and lots of those films, you know, the Mel Brooks films that spoofed, like, other film and TV and famous things. They weren't just being funny about the situation. You had to get the joke. You had to get the films they were parodying or the things they were parodying. You know, Blazing Saddles is taking the piss out of Westerns and stuff like that. And I think it was a lot easier to do those films when um, everyone watched the same films. Do you know what I mean? Because Top Top Secret spoofs a lot of Hitchcock and spy movies and stuff and is reasonably confident that all of its audience has seen enough of those movies to um, to, to get it. Whereas now, I think it's much more spread out. Not, not everybody watches the same things. So now, and I'm... I'm I think it's partly the people doing these things aren't as talented as Mel Brooks because who is? But things like epic movie, disaster movie, and Meet the Spartans and all that sort of thing. I think it can be a bit harder because, like, who, not everybody's watched all the same films. You know how, how do you how do you judge your audience ahead of time? Yeah, I mean that that's the whole the risk of doing the business. How do we know that this film's going to be a success? How do we know these jokes are going to land? Kind of thing. It. Why don't I we? Just, sorry, go ahead, mate. So I just I I've always found the, the like when we were like, when I was thinking about this and when we were going to do it for the pod, I thought like why is comedy the one that seems to just fall so flat? Like 
all like I bet you in the top ten worst films on IMDb, there's at least three comedy films on there, and That's one the... of them's called Epic Movie. Yeah, and, you know disa- I mean? and disaster movie, and disaster is... movie or whatever. So like, do you know what I mean? Like it's it's strange because it should be so easy to do. Like I say, people want to laugh. They do. Like unless you're a miserable fucking bastard, but they're quite real. Like I bet even like your colleagues or like your friends or like just people that you you just get get chatting to on the street like you end up having a laugh with that person by the end of that conversation even if it's only a 60 second two minute conversation about absolutely fuck all in that you've probably ended up having a bit of a chuckle do you know what i mean so i it it was just it was just an observation i made while we were doing this is like why is comedy so fucking hard to do well, you, you you were right. Eight films out of the bottom IMDb's bottom twenty are are attempted comedies, including yeah. a really shitty early Adam Sandler called Going Overboard, Meet the Spartans, Disaster Movie, Epic Movie, Son of the Mask, which was a really shit sequel. But I mean, perhaps you could do this another way around. Why don't we set our stall out, knowing that some of the audience are going to listen to the the ones we like and and disagree? But why don't we set our stall out by saying what some of our favourite comedy films are? Because that's our idea of what works as a comedy film. I mean, I mean, throw out a couple of your favourite comedy films, mate. It can be any of them. It doesn't have to be the best one. Just ones that immediately spring to mind is, yeah, those are great comedies. Uh, Anchorman 1. Yeah. Um, Deadpool 1 and 2. Yeah. Um, I like the Jump Street films. Mm-hmm. Um, other comedy films. Airplane's a classic. Um... On a bit of a blank. Well, I mean, while we while we talk, we'll talk, we'll talk about a few of those because I think a few of those fall into the, the, the categories we've already talked about, and, and a couple of them do, do things that we've not mentioned. But uh, you know, Anchorman. What else did you say? Anchorman and Deadpool one and two, the Jump Street films. Right. So if we do the jump, if we do the Jump Street films and um, uh, Anchorman, I think those fall into the categories that we mentioned, where we say you've got an improvisational style where they just keep rolling until something's funny. Because Lord and Miller did Jump Street, and they actually do this thing. Oh, they're a good, good performers, right? Because uh, uh, the the two main guys in you know Jonah Hill, we all know is funny, but it turns out Channing Tatum is actually really funny as well, and is a really good performer, and was fine with improvisation. But what they would do is they, there was a lot of improvisation, and the you know the scene where he's high and he smashes up the um, the the orchestra room was you know they just filmed and filmed and filmed and s- some of it just turned out to be really funny and that filled two minutes of screen time and you're absolutely falling about so i think there's that element of people who are good at making comedies know how to just put put people in put funny people in the situation until something funny happens i think airplane's one of those ones where they've hit upon something that really works you know i am serious and don't call me shirley you know there's lots of lines but also if you watch something like airplane uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm talking about Mark Kermode again. I've, this is the second time I've referenced, referenced him already in one episode. But he talks about the six laugh test, which, you know, he says that if a comedy makes him laugh six times, um, it, it's probably all right. But he's kind of acknowledging there that he's maybe not the biggest fan or not the best judge of a comedy. But think about it. H- how many times do you need to laugh to um, to say a comedy is really good? It's got to be quite a few. But the the thing with Airplane is they've got a joke every 20 seconds. Now... If they've got, if someone's got a joke every twenty seconds, right? That's three jokes a minute. If two of those films, are sh- uh, two of those jokes are shit, and one of those jokes is good, you've laughed fucking once a minute for ninety minutes. You've laughed ninety times. You're going to be aching. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So they pack the film with so many jokes that if even 
if even a third of the jokes they've got in there are funny, you're going to have laughed enough times to have loved that movie. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm being very reductive here because actually I think the people made that film really good and they understood how absurd disaster disaster movies that's, were. That's the style of that film, basically. But but they also, they pack it full of jokes, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't think I'd ever get to the point where I'm watching a comedy film and I would start counting because I feel that that's quite ridiculous. No, 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 no. You just, I mean, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't either. It's just, but if you think about it, you... But I think the way you look at it is if you look back on a film and you can remember a part of the film that makes you nearly cry mm-hmm. and you can't breathe because you're laughing that much. I also mm-hmm. think it helps who you go with mm-hmm. as well. So I went to see um, Suicide Squad with some mates. Um, the the new one, not the fucking god-awful, uh, what's his name? With Jared Leto in. Yeah, Jared, uh, Jared Leto. No, the, the one that came out in 2021. It was just called um, Suicide by, Squad, yeah. By James Gunn. Yeah. And, like, there are several moments in that that had me absolutely, like, you know, like my my core was really, really sore. Like I don't have abs by any means, but I did by the end of that film <laughs> for a good couple of days because I was just laughing like Sylvester Stallone. So I think if, if a film can make you laugh without the film actually doing anything yet, <laughs> then you're onto a winner. So when I saw that Sylvester Stallone, legendary action hero, very suave, you know, tough guy actor, was playing a giant fucking shark, that... I think you're onto a winner there. Right away, you go, right, I'm on board. That's very funny. And then he's my favourite thing, and I've got a tattoo of him on my arm because I mm. found it that funny when he just everything in, he does in that film. So he, I probably got six laughs out of King Shark alone in that film. And then anything else on top of that is a bonus. There's a character that's basically a murderous weasel mm-hmm. who's in it for about eight seconds, and he's still he still makes people laugh. So I think... If you if, ca- if you capture something that's in- inherently hilarious, do you know what I mean? Just the basic idea of it makes you laugh before you've done anything on film. You yeah. probably you need something like that, which is why they have so many um, like six word pitches for certain actors. You know, I mean, because when I mean the other thing with Deadpool is that I think what Deadpool does is that it makes use of Ryan Reynolds in the way that he needs to be used. Right. So fundamentally, Ryan Reynolds doing his thing as Deadpool, that's going to be funny. Yep. So they've, they've put the right elements together in the first place. And I'm talking about the, the six-word pitches, Will Ferrell as a Christmas elf. Will Ferrell as a news anchorman. Will Ferrell as a basketball player. You know, not all of those are the funniest films ever, but they sort of know that if you, if you take Will Ferrell and him and put him in a situation that's inherently ridiculous, that's your starting point for something funny. There's yep. those kinds of, you know, Jack Black as a... Uh, you know, supply teacher. Do you know what I mean? It's like that, that. Those. I'm not suggesting that every film should be that kind of you know basic, but the idea is if you if you start with a situation that's inherently funny, you've still got to write good jokes, but at least you're starting with something that you know is going to work in the first place. I mean, yeah, what, I would agree. What I was just going to touch on before before we go on to the next point is that I think you can do so much for a character without doing the writing. Mm-hmm. So if you uh, James Gunn's obviously very meticulous when he comes to his films, but he's gone, I want John Cena to play this really patriotic, obnoxious character. And you think, mm-hmm. yes, I'm on board with that. I want Idris Elba to play this kind of rough around the edges assassin that's basically replaced Will Smith because Will Smith's a fucking knob in. And you think, okay, I like that. You've got your kind of action lead. You've got Margot Robbie uh, playing Harley Quinn, who we know that like she was one of the only good things about the first one. 
And then you've got Sylvester Sloan playing a shark. You've got a murderous weasel. You've got Michael Rooker playing this albino that um, has a a ball that he throws. You know what I mean? You've got Jack yeah. Courtney who plays this really annoying Australian. Uh, called, what's his name? Captain Boomerang. You know what I mean? So he's yeah. gone into that. And then on top of that, not only does he cast it perfectly, like he gets... Um, he gets the guy with the spear, the trident. I can never remember his name, but he's that funny uh, German guy, which is a very funny statement to say because Germans aren't funny. <laughs> but I disagree with that statement. But it's a little joke for the Germans out there. Which you know what? Because they've got a great sense of humour, they'll appreciate that joke. Yeah. So don't you worry. Um, but you know what I mean? Like they've got all they've got all these kind of like layers. They've got all these great casting, and then on top of that, they add the layer of. Oh, we've got a, we've got a weasel that murdered six children, uh, sixteen children. That's already a funny line in itself. Yeah, You've yeah. seen Suicide Squad review because he says, "Yeah, yeah." Oh, is that a weasel? Yeah, yeah. He murdered sixteen children, and you're like, "Oh fuck!" You yeah, know, like you you laugh at that. So that's one laugh on the spot because you have a funny character, and then you think, "Oh, a, a weasel that stands on two feet and murdered all these kids." I'm gonna make this thing look fucking awful. I'm gonna make it look like a womble that started meth. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You you you. If you can just make the things look funny then you're going to get a laugh so sylvester sloan is a shark that wears a pair of jean shorts and is just this big absolutely massive great white again that's funny and then you go how do we make this even funnier oh well he's a he, he doesn't say much and when he does say stuff it's pretty dumb and it's very monosyllabic so do you know what i mean like it and it seems so simple when i'm spelling it out but it mm-hmm. seems that people in hollywood can't get that right but all you have to do is get the get the characters right and then from there you can think, right, well, if we cast this person, or how do we visually make this character funny? How do we get these characters to bounce off each other? What situations can we put them in? So what's good about The Hangover is that it's four very different four different guys. I know the, the guy that plays Doug isn't in it very much, so it's the three one, uh, three mm-hmm. main ones, Bradley Cooper, yeah. Ed Helms, and Zach Galifianakis. They're all different, and they're all played by different actors who offer different things, and mm-hmm. they're put in different situations, you know what I mean? So it... It's not that hard to do, but I feel like people don't do it, and I don't know why. Again, it goes back to William Goldman's statement, nobody knows anything. No one in the film industry could possibly know what's going to work. You look at the things that worked great that people had you know, no idea, the fact that people had doubts... Steven Spielberg doing Rage of the Lost Ark would actually be like a terrific idea. I know that's not a comedy, but that yeah, it's just it's just hard to know. And people in the boardroom fucking know worst of all, which is why some of the things you've talked about, you know, Will Ferrell or you know, they've put Ed Helms and Zach Galifianakis in because they've made people laugh before, and it's okay. All right, you've got them. Or um, what's his name? Uh, Mike Myers is a, a big funny on Saturday Night Live so if he wants to make a film we'll let him which they've done before like you know Dan Aykroyd was quite funny on on Saturday Night Live so he's got an idea for a film we'll let him do that him and John Belushi will do a film together it's worked on elsewhere we'll let them do it you've got a very risk averse industry like and I think it can be hard to just um, get it done so you know sometimes when you think about a film that was like a a brilliant idea that needed somebody to to be convinced that it would be a great idea. It's a miracle that it got made, like Groundhog Day or Four Lions. I mean, how Chris Morris convinced people that he could make a film about suicide bombers funny, probably because he he was so... It's like, oh, well, it's Chris Morris, we'll let him do it. Do you know what I mean? Because he'd done Brass Eye and he'd done The Day Today and they said, well, I don't know about this, but we'll let him do it because he's Chris Morris. Will Ferrell, we'll let him be in the movie because he's Will Ferrell, you know? 
and it, it, it's it's the people green light in the film probably don't understand what's good but will let it's like in football clubs they'll let the same six people come and manage your team because they've got this idea that they're good they've got no idea whether it's going to work but that, that that's how people make decisions i think they're risk averse and they're not sure what's going to work so there needs to be some reason why they'll they'll go with it you know monty python had been successful on telly and they went and did Holy Grail for, for £2.50. There was actually no risk to anyone to actually stick that on. Well, it's the Pythons. They're funny. It didn't cost anything to make this film. We'll let them do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I thought it would be interesting to look at, like, we've talked about some of the films that we that we like best. That There is a list from Time Out of the 100 best comedy movies. Firstly, let, let's talk about, like, where the, the largest number of kind of, like, great comedy films are, because I think it tells you something about the, you know, maybe the bias of the people voting for this, and um, maybe when was the best time to make comedies? Because <clears throat> if you look, um, if you look at, like, when or what decade the funniest films, like, that off this list were, were made, it kind of tells you something about what people think has been the, the, the greatest period. Um, 14 in the 70s, which okay. I out of the hundred, which I think is an element of some classic things were made then, like Life of Brian, Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, and so on. You know, a, a Pink Panther film and stuff. Um, but maybe a slightly smaller number because if you're doing this, that's fifty years ago, forty, fifty years ago, and I think sometimes comedy doesn't age always age well. But then, the eighties has got the most out of that hundred. It's got twenty one of the top hundred which I think tells you something about the age of the people deciding this, because that's when they watched those films and found them funny. Like 19 in the 1990s, 16 in the 2000s, and then, uh, and then 7 in the 2010s. And it's like, are people less funny now than they were before? Or was there, was there this like peak period where everyone was going to see the same films and everyone had a similar idea of what's funny and maybe the people who are making the films are a little bit more like plugged into what the audience wants, or is it just a case of the people who are voting for this were around then, and that's why they find all the all the eighties comedies funniest? Do you know what I mean? I mean, what, what I mean, what I mean, if you look at this list of eighties comedies, I, I'm just going to read them, and you tell me whether you, you've seen it and liked it. Spinal Tap. Uh, yes, I didn't like it that much, but I think it was just a very generational thing. Yeah, because if you weren't around for the absolute nonsensical like behaviour of like rock bands at the time, it might not yeah, play I mean, for you. I, I tried watching that in 2014, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And not it, to say that it's not a funny film, and I have joy, enjoyed other funny films from, you know, even before that time period, like Blazing Saddles and Airplane. Um, it just, for me wasn't wasn't my cup of tea yeah but if but if just go through this like airplane you've seen airplane yes liked it yeah yeah love it naked gun i've not seen naked gun yeah same thing from the same from from the same people but about police cop dramas and stuff so trading places eddie murphy and Aykroyd. uh no not seen it planes trains and automobiles is that the one with steve martin and john candy john candy i think i've seen a bit of that it's I think I saw a bit of it because there was a film that came out. It was called Due Date, and it was basically a carbon copy. Like absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I watched it, and it was okay. I find Steve Martin quite difficult to swallow. I don't know why, because I'm I'm sure he bit, is bit, really funny, but because comedy is subjective, I think that's going to be the way it is. Go- Ghostbusters. Um, it's okay. I didn't love it, but yeah, uh, Tootsie probably not seen it. No, not seen that. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. No. Three Amigos? No. 
When Harry Met Sally? No. Coming to America? Yes. I mean, that's, again, that's... That's a classic, but that is a classic. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, Eddie Murphy gets to be Eddie Murphy, and they just roll the camera, basically. Uh, Blues Brothers, I know you've seen the Blues Brothers. You weren't too struck on it. Yeah, but again, I think that was just because that's when Saturday Night Live had properly exploded, and like that was the two biggest stars. Yeah, it's like, I mean, how, how does, you know, that's, you know, that's... That's people born in the 40s and 50s from a TV show that was big in the 70s making a film in 1980. It's really hard for this to kind of be relevant to you, yeah? But, I mean, if we take... Um, let's take more recent, like the, the the decade of the 2000s. Team America. Oh, absolutely. What a film. Borat. Great film. Anchorman. Great film. Zoolander. No, shite. Don't like Zoolander. See, that's the thing. I, li- I like Zoolander. It's, like, quite a personal thing. Shaun of the Dead? Yes, but... Not as good as Hot Fuzz. Agreed. Which is probably coming up next. Yeah, Hot Fuzz is on the list as well. Um, Elf. Yep, great film. Napoleon Dynamite. Nope, shite. Uh, In the Loop. Great, but only great because I like the thick of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's the thing. That's like a classic example of this worked on telly, let's do it on film. Uh, Best in Show. No, I never heard of that. Royal Tenenbaums. Let's, that, that's Wes Anderson. Let's just go past that. Don't you fucking dare. <laughs> Old school. What's that about? Old school is the first like group comedy. It's basically about a bunch of guys who who have left university. They've got nothing to do, so they join a frat house or they allow their house to be used as a frat house. It's it's about you know man children. It's got one of the Wilsons. Is Will Ferrell in it? Yeah, I think Will Ferrell's in it. It's it's before they kind of got the um, the formula right for those types of films with Anchorman and Elf and everything else that came later. It's not that good. School of Rock, obviously. Yeah, great film. Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox thing. No. Mean Girls. Uh, it's okay, but very overrated by women my age. <laughs> Meet the Parents. Uh, yeah, good film. So it's like... It's funny how I think you'd seen more of those films and they're a little bit more current to you. And I think that's part of how, how, how it works. Because it, it's like, um, if, 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 if someone does a, like a, a joke and it's like everyone else laughs but you and they explain why it's funny, it's like it's too late now. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't get that because I wasn't born when you were born or I haven't watched the things that you've seen or I'm not aware of that cultural phenomenon that they're taking a piss out of, so I didn't find that funny when they said it. Do you know what I mean? It's like a whole lot of things have got to just happen at the at the right time, you know? So, you know, people people who were around for the... But, I mean, what it boils down to is people who were around for that period in the 80s, I think, were the biggest part of the group of people they were asking for that list to say, what are your favourite comedy movies? And surprise surprise films from what was their peak period of loving comedy show up on their list the most you know whereas if you were to write your list of favorite comedies i would say i would guess the majority of them were made at the very least during your lifetime and probably a good number of them um while you're you know actually uh, uh, around to watch those types of films do you know what i mean yeah so when i'm hitting like 15 kind of and getting to that age where i'm allowed to kind of go and see them in the cinema um it, it, it's it's interesting though because all of the people that did that list of comedy films are around now and are around for the films that are successful now but they've they picked on a very small number of films from the 2010s I mean you have to go back to the 1960s to get a, a, a smaller number 
of, of favorite comedy films from that last completed decade. We can't do the 2020s because it's like just done, right? But in the 2000s, they've got seven films that people say are great. And I think they they I think they highlight the way it's splintered a little bit because there's such a massive difference of films. Four Lions, Bridesmaids, Death of Stalin, The Big Sick, Popstar, Booksmart and The Trip. And I just don't see any unifying group of film like around those films. Those are seven completely different unrelated films. Uh, there's less of them. There's less films in, in the 2010s people seem to find funny. And they all seem to be coming from completely different places. I mean, Bridesmaids is, I don't know, is it The Hangover for Girls? I don't know. But Death of Stalin is this dark satirical story about, um, you could maybe say Four Lines and Death of Stalin operate in similar spaces, but Death of Stalin is like a period, like 50s communist Russia, political satire. Four Lines is about suicide bombers. Pop Stars is a spoof of reality TV. Do you know what I mean? Big, big Sick is what passes for romantic comedy these days. It's so hard to say, oh, that's what comedy is now, because I don't, I don't feel like there is a... You can't say, oh, this is the era of like gross out comedies by the Farrelly brothers, like maybe like the late 90s was. Do you know what I mean? Or you can't say the 80s was the era of people who are big on Saturday Night Live and like spoofs of old films or, you know, whatever it is, you know. But I don't feel like, do you feel like the 2000s and the 2010s, the most recent completed decades, have got a a theme to them? Do you know what I mean? What 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 works, what comedy is to, to, to this generation? Yeah, I think you're right. Those films are totally different, um, and I kind of like that. Um, I wouldn't say Bridesmaids is like the Hangover for, like, but just with like a female cast. But it, it's good that it has like a kind of core group of like three or four that it follows. But it is a totally you know different story. It's wacky. It's it's good fun. But I think we're. I mean that that at least has done the same thing as something like The Hangover or something else. Let's let's just take five funny people and put them in a room, you know. Yeah, totally. Chris, Kristen Wiig and uh, you know Melissa McCarthy and um, what's the uh, Australian woman's name who does lots of uh, yeah, Roseburn. Yeah, Roseburn. They uh, put put them together, you'll get a laugh. Do you know what I mean? It's for, funnily enough. I think one of the funniest films of the 2010s, which didn't make it to that list, is Spy, which has got a lot of the same people in it. It's got Melissa McCarthy, Rose Byrne, Jude Law, Jason Statham. is fucking hilarious, it turns out. And you can just see that they've done that same thing where they said, right, let's put all of these people in a room together because we'll get some laughs. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, Booksmart is like... It's a teen comedy, but it's not a teen comedy like the old days. It's much more about like the the... the, the I think it's far more serious-minded than fucking, you know, the old she's all that and all of those kinds of things. I mean, but you know, it, it's just that everything seems to have a. Well, they shouldn't. They shouldn't make comedies the way they used to. It's exactly like you said: is you can't keep doing the same thing. You got to do new things. But it just, I can't. I can't. Maybe it's too early, but I can't see a unifying theme. I think people are just people are just making films about things they find funny and hoping for the best because that's all you can do, right? Yeah. I think it's I think a good indication of what the period of the two thousands has been like is that we had the kind of new kind of new wave, not new wave, but you know what I mean? Like we had prominent female comedians or like comedy actresses making bridesmaids and then they made The Heat, which I found very funny, and then they made Spy, which I found very funny. We thought, Oh, okay, so it turns out women can be funny too and then they went, Let's make Ghostbusters 
and we'll just make Ghostbusters, but this time we'll just do it with women. And it didn't work because everyone had already watched Ghostbusters and enjoyed Ghostbusters. And I, I know the like. <sighs> I know there were a lot of assholes at the time saying, "Oh well, women aren't funny and they're not going to be as funny as the men." Blah blah blah. I, but it, well, for me, could... for me, I didn't want to watch that film because it wasn't new. It was just you know riding on the. It was just piggybacking um, the success of a film from the eighties that was that is like a, a beloved film. Whereas, you know, we've just we've just spoken for you know at great length about how you know we want new and fresh ideas we don't want adam sandler dressing up as a man and a woman we don't want adam sandler doing grown-ups 15 you know what i mean we want there are, adam there... sandler doing hustle and uncut gems and things like that and doing the stuff that we know he can be funny at but like we, there, we... there are not many remakes on this list yeah if if so, any so you know for me and we we talk about this all the time like how much we we criticize disney for just doing live action adaptations for for films because they make money and they're not any different they're, they're the same songs the same story the same everything and you, we, you just can't do that with a comedy can you yeah it doesn't work and like it, do, it doesn't i feel like it doesn't work for many films unless the film to begin with was absolutely terrible for well you know see judge dread mm-hmm. but like you know we we go through these films all the time for not being original and then they go and do like ghostbusters and you know it was just a massive flop. Well, my, my comment, the comment that made me laugh the most about Ghostbusters was when I heard one alt-right fanboy say, the problem with that film is that a Ghostbuster is an inherently male profession. <laughs> I, 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 I just don't know what to say to someone who thinks that. Um, I mean, the, the number, like you said, a number of things about that Ghostbusters film that don't work are to do with the fact that it's a remake and why, why do you want to go over old ground and how do you expect that to be funny? Because you either... If you do the same thing as before, people won't laugh because they've already seen it. It's an old joke. And if you do something new, you've got to... And this is the other area they fall down, is they didn't... What they did that was new didn't didn't work. One of the things that was really failed about that Ghostbusters film, which is very interesting, is that Judd Apatow, which slightly surprises me, was it... No, no, not him. It's Paul Feig. That's it. Paul, Paul Feig. Feig. He did with Spy a spoof, like a comedy action film, and he got it absolutely so right with Spy. So it surprises me that he, that he got it so wrong with um, with Ghostbusters. But I think that's because Ghostbusters has got an aspect to it that you've got to do. There are that You have to bust some ghosts at some point. Whereas there's been so many spy films, you can spoof spy films in 10 ways and the story can go in so many different directions that that improvisational style can work. <clears throat> but what happened with Ghostbusters was Right, here we go. We've got a scene. We've got Kate McKinnon. We've got Melissa McCarthy. We've got you know, all, all the other sort of people in the room. And they each had to do a little funny bit. And it's like, okay, are we are we going to get to the next scene now? Oh, yeah, we are. But now everyone has to have time to do their little funny bit. And it's like, no, you've got, you've got to have so much more discipline because this story's got to go in a direction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they just, you know, the, the, I mean, Ghostbusters was... I like Ghostbusters. I think a lot of the people are protesting too much about it being like this kind of absolute sacred text. But it was a funny film. I enjoyed it when it came out. But that is hard to do. I mentioned that in, in the um, uh, when we were talking about Doolittle. You have got a number of plot lines to deliver and action stuff to deliver, as well as the laughs. And I think if you go back and look at the production of Ghostbusters, that was a very, very disciplined production. Um, and the reason that worked is that the people who did that 
came from a tradition where that that was how you worked. And if you want a film to work with Kate McKinnon, Melissa McCarthy, Rose Byrne, and all those people in there, don't do Ghostbusters because it won't work. And that's no criticism because you take the cast of Ghostbusters, you go, I'd love to watch them in something, just not that. Do you know what I mean? And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I mean, com- comedy is very unforgiving. If it doesn't, you know, you've you've got to kind of make it, um, you've just got to make it work, you know, by hook or by crook. The other thing that's interesting is, um, one thing I wanted to look at is, Comedies are not as commercially successful as they used to be, and uh, the the again, I'm 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 I I have a, this nerdy tendency to go and look you know look up things and kind of do spreadsheets and have a look at it. So you know I I do the work so you don't you know no one else no one else has has to be as sad as I am. Um, in the nineteen in nineteen eighty yeah, in the global top twenty at the box office, eleven of the top twenty were comedy films. Right. In 1985, it was 10. Now, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about films which might not just be principally comedy films, like Back to the Future, I'm counting as a comedy here, which is also a time travel adventure. Do you know what I mean? But it's a, you don't cast Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox if you're not trying to be funny, right? So I'm, you know, relatively broad. But again, 11 films in the top 20 worldwide, 1980, 10 in 1985. It dips a little bit in the 90s, seven in 1990, six in 1995, six in 2000, but it is holding. Six films in the top 20 that comedies is decent, yeah? 2005, it jumps up. There's eight and six and holding, right? But in 2019, three out of the top 20 were comedies. And in 2022, it was four. And I think every time after 2010 onwards, when you're talking about which films are successful at the box office and comedies, they're almost all animated films. And all four of the comedies which were in the box office top 20 in 2022 were animated films. Because essentially animated films these days are either musicals or comedies, right? So yeah. you're talking Madagascar. If you count Inside Out as a comedy, then you put that on for 2015, even though it has strong emotion elements as well. And <clears throat> you think about that in in about the last sort of five or six years, almost none of the big successful films have been live action comedies. Uh, and and this this year, the Jennifer Lawrence film, No Hard Feelings, oh, which is like a, an R-rated gross out comedy. Now, you like it, don't like it. The interesting thing about that, about No Hard Feelings, is that people thought, wow, a, a um, an R-rated um, uh, comedy, can people still do that? Can that still be successful? And that film is being regarded as a commercial success for what it was on the back of $87 million at the box office. Um, now, Christ. typically, when you're talking about a top 10 film of the year, you're expecting it to make anywhere between 300 500 or even a billion dollars a year. But I think they've set their expectations lower to say, this film's going to work, yeah, now, you don't like the film, you don't like the film, right? But Jennifer Lawrence is a big-name star. She's doing an R-rated comedy. It's sort of supposed to be in the same sort of tradition as something like The Hangover or the old Farrelly Brothers stuff. Um, success is measured by a much smaller take at the box office because essentially they said, we have to cut our cloth these days because you've got to find an audience, like you might have to find a smaller audience to like your film these days 
because what you make is not can't be watched by everybody because that's the nature of films now. It's interesting. That, I mean, that, that's the environment that we find ourselves in now. You know, that, that's that's why blockbusters, you know, in, in, in sort of the last decade have been often been Marvel films or franchise films because they said, well, if we're going to spend a hundred, two hundred million dollars on this movie, um, and we've got to get like a billion dollars worth of box office, we can only make a certain thing if everyone, if we can get everyone to watch it. And comedy's not that because as good as good, I haven't seen No Hard Feelings. I've seen good reviews for it. It's been regarded as a success. The fact is, is that the constituency for each comedy film is much smaller than it used to be. Ghostbusters cost $35 million to make in 1984, which made it one of the most expensive films of that year. It wasn't the most expensive film ever because they'd already done a Superman film that was like $55 million. But Ghostbusters cost as much to make as The Empire Strikes Back. And literally nobody's going to make a comedy with that budget anymore. You don't need to. That's That's what I'm saying, like... Yeah, but that's the thing. Comedy, comedy now occupies a genre like um, horror movies, which is to say, if you can get it to work, yeah, um, you, you make people laugh, but you don't necessarily. You, you're gonna have a very successful comedy film that's not gonna crack the top twenty, like a horror movie. It's like um, some of these like exorcism movies, the uh, you know the exorcism of Emily Emily Rose stuff like that, the 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 you know the latest Paranormal Activity. They make them cost about three to five million, and if they make thirty or forty million, they've been really bloody successful. And if they make a hundred, they're a breakout hit. And I think comedy now occupies that genre. Even though, right? You know, we did. We were talking about that. Pitch me a blockbuster. Do you remember we were doing that, where you come up with some ideas and I come up with some ideas? And I looked up what's Generation Z watching, what films do they like? Comedy's still the most popular genre. It's the most popular. It's the one everyone lists first. What comedy? What film genre do you like? Comedy. Everyone likes comedy because not everyone likes sci-fi. Not everyone likes horror. Not everyone likes westerns. But everybody likes to laugh. But each person, each group of people, is watching different things these days. In the same way that what they're listening to different music, you know. It's so strange because you're saying that like. Like these comedy films, like they don't get the big budgets, but do they necessarily need them? We've got an entire, like, industry that is based on a man or a woman or whoever standing on a stage with a microphone and telling jokes. So this kind of goes back to what I was saying before, but people are funny. Mm-hmm. You don't need like these expensive films. I know to get like the big stars, you have to pay them their fee, but. I bet there's a bunch of funny people out there that wouldn't cost millions of pounds to to sign for a film. Do you know what I mean? And you, like, you could make a, a, a hilarious comedy film for 30 million tops if you had the right writers involved, if you had, you know, a good director, a good kind of story, a good kind of plot, good, you know, setting for it all. It's like... You know what I mean? Like, I find The Angel Share a very funny film. Mm-hmm. That's Ken Loach. He probably made that for, you know, a packet of biscuits. You know, like, it. it's not that hard. But no, no I, 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 I think I think you're right. I mean, the, the fact is that comedy is not that expensive. For example, we talk about The Big Sick. The Big Sick costs $5 million to make. Is that the one with Kim, Kumail, Kumail, Nanjiani? Kumail Nanjiani? Yeah, and yeah. He, he got that film on the basis of he's a stand-up, so people know he's funny, and he had the idea for the script. 
Judd Apatow produced it because he's sort of like, well, if I can't make a movie, I can at least help someone else make a movie. Like, I'm still making movies. Do you know what I mean? He's he's gone into that period, and um, you know, one of the cast is Ray Romano. You like him or dislike him, he is an established comedy performer. Yeah, he's all right. Yeah, um, and get it made for five million dollars. Uh, make fifty six. Um, if you look up, try the forty year old virgin, which was a massive hit at the time. In terms of budget, $26 million. Now, that's that's a fair bit. That's more than that. But bear in mind, by that time, you have got Steve Carell. You've got Judd Apatow, who's had some big hits. They packed that with some well-known comedy performers like Paul Rudd, Seth Rogen, you know, Steve Carell in the lead. But even then, you know, that's a top-line comedy budget. You talk like you say. Exactly. You said, you said $30 million. It's like the economics are just different now. That's what it comes down to. Because... You're you're looking for you're looking for people who are going to um, provide the engine, the comedy engine for your film. And they, the Saturday Night Live thing is interesting, right? Because they they still look to people from Saturday Night Live to um, to be in comedy films. It's like it's a uh, the uh, Kate McKinnon came from there. And what's the bloke who looks like he's he's on drugs? He was going out with Kim Kardashian for a while. Pete Davidson, yeah. they uh, you know Keenan Thompson from Keenan and Kel and at Tina Fey. These people have all like springboarded from SNL into films. But even in the even in what we would call the good old days or the the, the heyday of SNL, not everything they did w- w- was a hit. You know, Chris Farley's attempts at comedies at breaking out from comedies that they fucking died on their ass. Uh, Dan Aykroyd tried Coneheads, which was a really popular character on the show. He probably didn't strike Wally Iron is hot. It was like 10 years later when he made it. Not everything that they did from SNL works. Um, but now, SNL, still a big popular show. Um, but not everyone watches network TV anymore. Yeah, I mean, have, have you watched some of Pete Davidson's stand-up or like watched The King of Staten Island? I haven't really. It, quite a good film. Like Pete, Pete Davidson is really funny. Like I know he's, you know young like he's not he's not like these kind of seasoned guys like you know like bill burr and dave Chappelle. but he is funny he's got like he's got a natural kind of funny instinct and he can he can hit that funny bone but he made that i don't know how much the king of staten island cost to make but it was good and it like it wasn't amazing but it had it had bill burr in it and it was you know a solid comedy film and it, that that just shows you that it's not, and it's not like an outlandish story like The Hangover, where they have to fucking CGI a giraffe getting its head um, cut off by a, a motorway bridge. You know, like it was just a story about you know this guy who lives in Staten Island, basically, and that, that was it. And they went from there, and they went right. How can we make this funny? And if I, they do, I feel like they don't do that anymore. I think, think, oh, we've got Adam Sandler, and what story's doing this right? And how can we make this funny? Oh, we'll just let Adam Sandler do the things that he was doing in Big Daddy and Billy Madison and Little Nicky from 20 years ago, because that's still funny. Well, yeah, I mean, Adam Sandler is capable of so much more than he's doing. I don't want to slide the guy too much because he's done two great films in the past, you know, five, four or five years. Yeah, yeah, we want to encourage it. More of that, please. Give me me Hustle 2 or or another another story like that. I'm up for it. Yeah, Uncut Gems, but... And we know he can do it, and he's done Punch Drunk Love. And if I know people like to slag him, but Happy Gilmore, The Wedding Singer, and um, I feel like and Big Daddy, I'll, they are good films. I didn't like Little Nicky too much, but 
the water boy yeah, I found funny. Do you know what I'm, I mean? I'm not a snob about Adam Sandler's Adam Sandler comedies. I just like the ones that are good, and I'm not, I'm not, <clears throat> and I'm not in favour of Jack and Jill. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, but again, I think it's the thing is, it's the other thing that people fall prey to, right? Is the way marketing and, and commerce works in films is you do something funny, and they will ask you to do that over and over again. Which is why Jim Carrey did Ace Ventura, which hasn't aged well. It worked at the time. Within a couple of years, it was like, that's done now, but they still got a sequel out of it. And then when he did Liar, 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 Liar is quite good, but you can see it's it's leaning very heavily on Jim Carrey's ability to pull faces. But he tried The Cable Guy the year before that, which was very different and much darker, and Ben Stiller. We like Ben Stiller. Tropic Thunder is one of our favourite comedies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but... Cable Guy flopped at the box office because people didn't weren't expecting Jim Carrey to do something where he wasn't pulling funny faces. Um, and he worked really hard with stuff like The Truman Show and other stuff to break out of that. But if you're not careful, you will get handcuffed and straightjacketed into the, one th- the, f- the first funny thing that you did. And breaking out of that is really hard. Uh, Mike Myers, right? He has a big hit with Wayne's World, right? Because... It was a popular sketch on SNL back when everybody was watching SNL. He does Wayne's World. Uh, everyone, you know, everyone liked it. Did a sequel. Didn't do nearly as well because it's like, guys, that it's been done. You fucking done it. Do you know what I mean? You got away with it once. Don't do another one. He tries to do something different with a film called So I Married an Axe Murderer, which I, I like, but yeah, doesn't. I've but seen it. It, it doesn't quite. It doesn't quite land. But it, it put off Mike Myers so much from doing that kind of film. This is no. You'll only see me in heavy makeup as a character that I've invented. Yeah. So he does Austin. So he does Austin Powers, and then he does, you know, you know that you know the cat in the hat didn't work, but he will do those kinds of things. He because he tried it once, didn't work. It's like it's like being hit with a with an electric shock. I won't do that again. Do you know what I mean? Uh, It's hard. I mean, and and nowadays it's a case of if it's probably better to work from a smaller budget. Kevin Hart's done all right because he's got quite big on, um, you know, with his stand-up and everything else. And then he's he's clearly got some chemistry with Dwayne Johnson and he's worked well with other people. And he's a funny bloke. But bear in mind, Kevin Hart got his break in a in a bit part in um, The 40-Year-Old Virgin. It's just 2005. It's like, it, I think it's quite hard to find the next big comedy star. Now, Pete Davidson has broken out. Good for him, right? But... I think what happens with comedy films now is, I mean, you could talk about fear of being cancelled and stuff like that, because Todd Phillips said the reason he went and did Joker is he just didn't think he could do comedy films anymore. And and there is an element of that. Like, if you talk about James Gunn, right, James Gunn was briefly cancelled or was briefly sacked from Marvel because people dug up some old tweets where... That weren't even that bad, but yeah. He didn't express nasty opinions. He didn't say anything nasty horrible. He was clearly trying out jokes. Do you know what I mean? The way you would... Right, if he'd done that in a in a, in a stand up room and all oh, that didn't work, you know, he tried a joke that said he's trying to be funny about. I think one of the ones was, you know, the reason I'm like this is because I was abused as a kid or something, and he tried he tried it out and it didn't work. Well, you don't do that joke anymore. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and if it yeah. works, or you hone it till it does work, he is obviously trying to tread that fine line with that weasel character and with Sylvester Stallone shark guy in um, uh, the Suicide Squad, where if you get it just right. The shark guy biting someone's fucking head off is funny. Do you know what I mean? But you've yeah, got that- to get you've got to get that tone spot on. And I just I don't think the fear of being cancelled is that much of an issue now. I think the issue now is is that you've got to work out who your audience is, 
and it's probably smaller than it used to be. And I think the audience for comedy is divided up into groups and you've got to say, well, I'm aiming at that group or this group or that group over there. And you've got to pick them out. And if you pick out that group who are going to find you funny, then you'll be fine. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I think I think there is a, a, a certain degree of um, the fear of being cancelled with, with comedy now. I think a good example of this is uh, the new the new Grand Theft Auto game is reportedly not going to be as like you know, out there and in your face in terms of its like storylines as the as the the, the previous one, GTA five. Because which is they've forgotten that people don't need to be well, most people don't need to be spoon fed whether something's right or wrong, right? Well, they're saying it's gonna be it's gonna be a bit I don't know necessarily PC is the right word, but it's not gonna I felt like the last the last instalment was perfect. I thought it was funny and it wasn't like I didn't find it particularly offensive. There might be things in there that people do find offensive. There was a couple of missions that you were allowed to skip because it was considered a bit too kind of violent. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing in it in terms of dialogue and the bouncing off of the characters that made me think, oh yeah, they could get cancelled for these jokes. Like, And now they're saying, well, they're not. They're going to tone it down for the next one. So I definitely think there is a fear of cancellation in that. But I, th- I find that whole fear of cancellation absolutely bizarre. So... People are worried about upsetting people with what is intended to be as a joke. And I think if it crosses a line, it crosses a line, you get told that and you you can come out with an apology. You can say, look, I'm not going to do that again. I was trying a joke. I didn't mean any harm or offense to people. I was just, I was just trying to see if I could make something funny. But we have, we have what's called like, you know, like the roasts. So like Comedy Mm -hmm. Central now and again would get uh, a celebrity like, uh, Rob Lowe or um, Donald Trump or Justin Bieber and they would sit there and people would make all these jokes and then the other people that were there would get jokes pointed at them and people were making jokes about Pete Davidson's dad mm-hmm. um, dying on 9-11 because he was a firefighter and mm-hmm. Pete Davidson finds it funny and what I don't understand is, is that there's things like that and people think oh this person got a bit of a roast you know saying that they you know, they, 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 Rob Lowe shagged a babysitter when he's back and then he's like, oh, it's digging up all this old dirt and all these kind of things. But like, you know, it's, now it's like, you can, you're worried about getting cancelled, but we kind of encourage a, a culture of saying things that are shocking that could get you cancelled. There's, they did one on, it was similar, but not the same on the, the UK, Comedy Central, it was Roast Battles and they would have, um, you know, like UK comedians just kind of, roasting each other mm-hmm. and uh they were making comments about uh this guy's mum that had passed away through alcoholism and they'd made comments or made jokes about uh one of the the women on it looking like the victims of the yorkshire ripper now that is really dark stuff and really offensive but the audience find it funny but i wouldn't be surprised in five years if these jokes get dug up and people have to apologize so i do gen- i do genuinely think that there's a fear of cancellation yeah and that, i mean there's a fear of cancellation for everything these days not necessarily just comedy but i do think that comedy films might be slowly not dying out but getting very toned down because people are much more sensitive nowadays I think I think there is an element of that, <clears throat> and I, I don't think you know. We, you know, maybe we should do an Adamson's versus cancel culture where we've got more time to uh, to dig into it. But I do think you're right. I think there is an element of that, and I think the comedian Jimmy Carr said 
the joke that's he's already told the joke that's going to get him cancelled. He just doesn't know which one. Do you know what I mean? Because he's 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 prided himself on you know near the knuckle comedy. I mean, I would say there's always been a line. Do you know what I mean? And that line is always going to change because in the 70s, for example, stand-up comedians could tell some pretty racist stuff on television and get away with it. And it's right that that's not acceptable anymore. So there's always a line and there's always a review. And I think the problem with the cancel culture thing, I mean, the flip side of this is that Louis C.K. was cancelled, but now he's back. So cancellation is is a relative thing, right? Having said that, I think the, 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 the thing that's concerning about the fear of cancellation is that a few dickheads on Twitter can turn something into something it isn't, right? Some people have yeah. deservedly been kind of cancelled or, or basically been pulled up for what they've done. They've they've deserved it. But there are social media is a, is a, a a petri dish for people kicking off about stuff that there's absolutely nothing in, and there are bad actors from things like the far right, the far left, and fucking Russia like pulling that up because they know that you can actually bring a culture or a political system to a halt by manufacturing outrage about things, right? And again, we haven't got time to get deep into that, but yeah. I think cancel culture, I think, is a thing, and I think it's something you need to worry about. But I think, you know, you can you can, you can, can cover yourself in that. Everyone says, oh, you couldn't make Blazing Saddles now. He says, I bet you fucking could, right? Because the script was co-written by Richard Pryor, okay? It was but, hilarious. Yeah, and because Mel Brooks is a fucking comedy genius, and that film is the biggest dissection of racism that there's fucking ever been, and I think you could still make that movie now. And they show that film uncensored on television. Why? Because it, it's quite obvious that, the, that all the jokes are anti-racist. So I, I still think you just, can do edgy stuff now, but I, I do think I do that. think you need to. The thing is, it's a tightrope, and if you if 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 there's a small gap between getting it wrong and getting it right, I think the people who are telling the telling them the edgiest jokes, they just have to work harder to get it right, notwithstanding some cancel culture. But I'm, I'm prepared to man the barricades for some of the of the things that people have been, like, pulled up for, and others I'm like, no, you're on your own, mate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I was just going to say, just to touch on the, the Blazing Saddles comment about how you couldn't do it today, have you seen the Key and Peele sketch about the two slaves? No. It's fucking brilliant. So they're playing two slaves at an auction, and they're standing there, and you know, Key and Peel are not like much to look at. I think you know, mm -hmm. uh, Key's like a big lanky, skinny thing, and uh, Peel's a bit of a kind of short, kind of tubby guy. Mm -hmm. And they're standing there with their shirts off and the kind of like beige trousers, mm -hmm. and they're getting bought, and they're like, I think, I think it starts with them saying, you know, I, I, I don't want to get bought, you know, kind of thing. I hope you know we get like a kind of good, you know, a, a nice kind of owner. And then they end up getting jealous of all the other slaves that are getting bought. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, oh, I can lift more than him, blah, blah, I can yeah, yeah, more yeah. than him. I, that, I can see must, exactly where it's going. Yeah, and that must be in the, the last 10 years or so. And it's hilarious. It's really funny. They start like, saying, oh, come on, man. You know, you don't want to buy me? Like that kind of thing. And that's that's two black guys that are kind of making that joke. And they wrote that entire sketch and wrote that entire show. So for folk to say that stuff isn't funny, it's like, who, who are you to tell me that something wouldn't be funny or I wouldn't find that funny What? because you wouldn't find it funny that's fine don't fucking watch it then I don't yeah. particularly like watching like my dog's fucking shit on my bed 
but you know I, they don't force me to watch it they do it and then i've got to go and clean it up later do you yeah. know what I mean? yeah look, you, you I, don't I, have to watch a thing that upsets you i i know what you mean and and he, and here's the thing right i think if you look back and you see all the racial comedy that was being done by white guys who have no idea what it's like to be on the receiving end of that do you know what i mean and jokes about women and jokes about stuff like that there's there's I do think the idea of cancer culture needs to be calibrated. We we need to stop listening to people who are getting outraged about fuck all on, on social media. Um, the the other side to this, though, is if you want to do funny jokes about slavery, then there are black comedians who'll do that. Do you know what I mean? And if you want some funny jokes about periods and being a woman and stuff like that, there are women comedians who'll be able to do that. And it's so much easier for them to tell a joke against themselves than it is for anyone else. And that's always been the way a little bit. It's like the, in the old days, you would have a um, a comedian who would tell jokes about all the other parts of the country. And then they'd say something about this, you know, the city that they're in. And it would be like, you can't say that about us. Do you know what I mean? And actually that's changed a little bit nowadays because nowadays I think comedians go out of the way to take the piss out of the city they're in and people like it but because but that's okay. Yeah, but, but that's all part of the tour, isn't it? You that, go to your yeah. city and say that. That's, it's what's expected. But that's the thing. You've, you've given them permission, basically. But you, the thing is, like you say, Key and Peele can, can do as much stuff as, as like about black humour as they like. And do you, know, do you know what you want? If you want to see that kind of stuff, you want to watch that kind of stuff, we just need to encourage people from all different walks, walks of life to do it. Because I've seen, you know, there are some uh, comedians from Muslim backgrounds who do all sorts of stuff about jihad and stuff, which is really fucking funny. And I get to laugh at it because they're the ones telling the joke. So there is an element of, you know, you can you can insulate yourself from a lot of the cancel culture by having the people who the people who are the subject of the joke being the ones in charge of the joke. Do you know what I mean? And I know we've, 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 we've gone into yeah, stand-up, but I, but I think these principles apply to comedy. It's like, get the, get the people who are funny, wherever they're from, up on the screen. And I still think you can do it. I think it's a case of... I mean, uh, I think the, the tricky bit is finding it and knowing that, the, that this is going to be a comedy film for you because maybe I'd really like to know Hard Feelings and maybe I'll catch it when it when it comes out. Do you know what I mean? Apparently apparently Jennifer Lawrence goes fucking all out. She's like they're doing a skinny dipping thing and then some teenagers nick their clothes and she runs after the kids and beats them up while completely naked. Like she goes full fucking Borat. And I'm like, <laughs> well, hats off, right? Someone's still prepared to do that shit nowadays. Not many stars, not many female stars are prepared to do that. Fucking hats off to her. But it's like... Um, you make her the subject and the star, you can take the piss out of the fact that she's naked, but there'll be some Revenge of the Nerds or like teen comedy or frat boy comedy from the 80s where the joke is the women have had their clothes ripped off them or they're looking through the keyhole in Porky's at the naked girl's taking a shower. And people laughed at that then and you go, oh, that's not on now. It's a bit creepy now. But yeah. you put Jennifer Lawrence in charge of the joke and she can run up naked and have a fist fight fully naked with teenage and everyone's laughing her ass off. Put her in charge of the joke and you're away. Do you know what I mean? No, I agree. It's so it, it's it can still be done. Yeah, yeah. But like, it, I just, I just sorry to kind of touch on the kind of people who are the subject of the joke, making the joke, and I don't want to talk about like just one genre. But have you seen the eighties Spears um, sketch about? It's not necessarily about slavery, but he talks about he has a white friend come round, and do you know who Eddie Spears is? No. He's a he's a black comedian, but I think he's like only big in America, kind of thing. Yeah, and that that's enough because America's a massive country. But anyway, yeah, he uh, does a joke about. His, he says uh, black kids are just as shocked to see how white kids talk to their parents 
as they are when they see how our parents talk to us or how black parents talk to their kids. Mm-hmm. So he said, he was, I had his little friend Nate come round and he's playing um, he's playing the Nintendo and his mum comes in and says, Aries, what did I tell you about keeping this motherfucking room clean? If you don't tell you this motherfucking room, we take that cord, wrap it around your neck and stand you to the fucking death of it. Right? Like, comes into his room like SWAT, like, right? And his pal Nate goes, dude, what the fuck? She can't do that. This is your area. Do you want to talk to her? And he goes, uh, he got, he said, I got so scared I turned into a slave from Roots. And he's like, you're going to get me in trouble. He goes, and then... Yeah. And then my mum beat up Nate so bad that he started talking like me and then he pretends that he, his white pal starts singing like a song when they're working the fields. And it's funny. And he's taken ownership of his like ancestry mm-hmm. and his history and turned it into something funny. You know, it's... Well, that's a very interesting flip side to a famous Eddie Murphy routine. He did two famous um, uh, stand-up films, Delirious and Raw. Delirious is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, there's some homophobic stuff in there which would not fly Uh, nowadays. But he does this brilliant stuff about the difference between how white kids talk to their mum and dad and black kids talk to their mum and dad, talking about how he goes around to his... um, he first of all does this bit where if you piss if you piss your mum off, she'd throw a shoe, and she's so good at it, she's like Clint Eastwood or something. And he does this whole yeah. routine about how she's like, say that again, and like gets the shoe and throws it, with, and it gets you in the head with perfect accuracy. And then he does this whole bit about how he's gone over to a white friend's house and like, heard his mum like cursing, "Hey, mum, shit!" What do you know? He's always very good at parodying the white accent. And it's like you got people like, "Oh, he's taking the piss out of white people." Like, well, fuck off, mate. It's funny. He made you laugh. Enjoy it. And he does the whole bit about how the way they talk to parents and he, he made the mistake of going home and talking to his mum like that and she just suddenly turns into Clint Eastwood and scares the hell out of him and gets the shoe ready and you just think it's 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 almost like that joke has a heritage back to Eddie Murphy it's quite fun to see someone riff, playing on that in a different way do you know what I mean yeah like have you seen the um the, the latest Chris Rock special where he says after the the Chris uh, after the Will Smith slap he says that he was actually rooting for the he was root- owners in he Emancipation. Was, yeah, he was rooting for Massa in Emancipation. Yeah. Well, Hit I mean, him again, Massa. <laughs> he, does, he, did, he did a brilliant routine, which I'm not going to repeat for obvious reasons, but he was talking about how... Because he's, he's made so many good jokes about racism and, and anti-racist that he's he feels like he's he's free to to kind of make make this comment you know he's talking about all the things that can you know black you know health problems that black people are worried about you know you know diabetes high blood pressure LAPD do you know what I mean he's he's done all of that yeah. stuff right and he's talking about um there's a difference between black people and n-word he says you all know lots of black people they're great people and then there's n-words and you don't like them he says and and people talk about racism about how it's all about how like it's all about the culture and it's all about like media portrayals of uh, of black people he says but when i go to the atm i'm not look- looking over my shoulder for the media i'm looking over my shoulder for n-words right now <laughs> fucking jesus christ right, white comedian can't do that joke no, 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 chris no, no, rock no. can do you know what i mean it's like well there's there's everyone's like you say there's always a line and i mean i think chris rock's probably been in Chris Rock has also made jokes about like Twitter's probably going to stop him ever presenting the Oscars again. You know, whatever. I mean, you know, he's, he's made those jokes already. Um, I do, you know, I hear like, uh, you know, John Cleese going on about how, oh, uh, everything's, you know, everyone's getting cancelled these days, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, that's not a justification to go and be a presenter on GB News. I get it. And a conversation does need to be had. But I think there is an element of there are some things that you're not allowed to say anymore you shouldn't have been allowed to say back then do you know what I mean it's like if Eddie Murphy is Eddie Murphy's going to cop flack if he does some of that homophobic uh, stand up nowadays do you know what I mean yeah 
But if Eddie Murphy were to do a stand-up show now, I would be interested. He's probably too ring rusty, but I'd, I'd watch it because it's Eddie Murphy. Do you know what I mean? I'd like to see what he does nowadays. There's always a line and that line always moves. Um, but yeah, I think, do we agree comedy's hard? It, it ought to be easy, but but, but, but film the, the nature of the film industry makes it hard, right? He's never going to sell ice cream at that speed. It's Glasgow's finest. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, someone's drinking alcohol on a bus on the way to a football game. Yeah, yeah. Losing twos, stop the crime. But yeah, it's uh, what was I saying? It's it's the the nature of making a film can make it quite hard to do comedy. But when it works, it's lightning in a bottle, and everybody loves it. So we're glad that people still want to do it. It's just it, it making a, a comedy film looks different nowadays, doesn't it? I think it's where we've got to. Yeah, I think that that kind of discussion at the end was a bit of a tangent, but we were just trying to kind of make the point that you know there are things that can be kind of tough subject matter or is it possible to do that kind of comedy and i think it is it's possible to do any comedy as long as you don't cross the line i think people would say oh well where's the line the line keeps getting moved i think everyone's got a good idea of where that line is and if it's before that go out and make a film and try try something new try something different and see the, the thing is to. i mean we do want people to be brave and kind of make those jokes because we you know people need that i mean the fact is no one no one thinks terrorism is inherently funny but the fact that four lions parodied kind of all sides of that whole discussion and that chris morris was fearless enough to do that 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 film is a treasure for that reason and the same thing with team america all the things that that takes the piss out of them tropic thunder you know the way it takes the mickey out of things and like you know mel brooks doing blazing saddles and monty python doing life of brian i mean they they copped a lot of flack for life of brian at the time do you know what i mean they copped a lot of shit and it's really funny that john cleese would talk about the amount of shit you get for trying to be funny now he seems to have completely forgotten what happened to him in 1979 do you know what i mean but I'm glad I'm glad people are still going out there putting their tin hat on having a go because look, sometimes you just want to have a laugh at silly things like airplane and I love that. But I, I also I do really appreciate people who go out and, and go near the knuckle because I think there's a reason for it. There's a justification. Cause yeah. being able to laugh at stuff helps you deal with it. And I think that's why people love comedy. Do we think we've done the sub uh, subject justice, mate? I think we have. Well, thank you very much for going on this journey with me, mate. Thank you, audience, yeah. for listening. We will be back soon with more Double Reel, uh, but I think that's us for now. That's all for this month's episode of Double Reel. Thanks for listening and for making it all the way to the end. Thanks also to my co-host, James Adamson. The podcast is hosted on the Podbean Network and edited in Audacity. We are grateful for their continued support. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. Outside of Double Reel, you can find us both hosting a non-film related podcast, The Adamson's Versus. Our most recent episode, The Adamson's Versus AI, is out now. So this is me, James Adamson, signing off and... This is me, James Adamson, signing off. Our next episode will be our regular episode 43 next month. Two special episodes featuring Primetime Mitch and Jamie B. Chambers are also available to download now. And please look out for other special episodes we decide to do in future. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and tell your friends. Until next time, stay safe, watch lots of films, and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media. And if you condone a nation bombing hospitals, stop listening to this podcast. Uh, none, none of this, uh, none of this condones Hamas, but that ought to be obvious. Yeah, yeah, obviously. It's a stupid argument to be taking sides on. <laughs>